Some of you are going to find this a bit incredulous, but here's something that federal, state, and local governments all tell us to do that we should actually listen to. Eat more fruits and vegetables. You've heard about the health benefits of increasing plant-based nutrients into your diet, but how can you easily consume all the fruits and veggies needed? Well, it's easy. By adding Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity into your meals. Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity is a power blend that has 31 fruits and vegetables in every scoop. Organic vegetables, super greens, super fruits, and super sprouts. It is fortified with essential vitamins plus an immunity boost. And right now, you can get a free two-week supply of Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity by just paying $8.95 for the shipping and handling. And not only that, you'll also get a free frother to quickly whip up your healthy and nutritious grown American drink. Go to grownamericansuperfood.com forward slash John and order today. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. Lot of news, lot to cover, lots of reasons to stay sane, lots of reasons to convince other people to stay sane. Shout out to everybody who got through another day without giving up, without quitting, without listening to the dark voices. Thank you for struggling. Thank you for resisting fascism. Thank you for caring about those less fortunate than you. And really, thank you for being so damn smart and sexy at the same time. That's really what America needs. We make a lot of ugly, dumb people. It's really an honor to come work on a channel that caters to the smart and most attractive. There's so much to get to, and I'm so glad you're here. Welcome to the show. A couple big things. We're going to be on the road with the Sexy Liberal Comedy Tour. Come see us, Stephanie Miller and Hal Sparks and Frangela and a lot of special guests. This tour, the special guests have ranged from Lily Tomlin to Rob Reiner to Nancy Pelosi, uh, Margaret Cho, Daryl Hammond. We've had Aisha Tyler, a lot of fun comics, a lot of fun politicians have joined us over the years. Uh, Three big dates coming up, leading up to the midterms, and apparently only three, because no one listens to me who wants to be on the road all the time. Chicago is coming up on the uh, 1st of October. That'll be uh, great. We're going to be also playing in Washington, D.C. at some point in September. I think it's September 10th. Yeah, September 10th in Washington, D.C., September 1st in Chicago. The 22nd of October will be at the Savant Theater in L.A. in Beverly Hills. Uh, please come down and see us. I'll also be playing with Leanne Lord at the Hopewell Theater in New Jersey uh, later in October. So let's get to the show. Rumors of a trade. Yes, a possible trade. <laughs> and it really, if it involves Brittany Griner, you know that this is the first time mainstream media has ever discussed a trade that involves a WNBA player. But right now, Victor Boat, a convicted Russian arms trafficker who is serving a 25-year U.S. prison sentence, has been offered in a potential deal for the release of detained Americans Brittany Griner and Paul Whelan. I'm very, very glad we haven't forgotten Paul Whelan either. Uh, the most 
inspiring thing about this is that the negotiations are happening. The most depressing thing is seeing how many truly terrible right-wing people are on social media wanting her to stay there. But I, I think it's great. I want to go even a step further. Vladimir Putin, because I know you listened. You can afford a subscription. Uh, he, here's the deal. We're willing to make you a better trade. If you'll give us back Brittany Griner and Paul Whelan, give us them. We will give back to you Donald Trump. Think about it. You've owned him for so long. You haven't seen him since Helsinki. Bring your dogs home. Send us Waylon and Griner. We'll return Trump to you just as you found him. And you know what? We'll even throw in Michael Flynn and a traitor to be named later. You know why this is happening? You know why we're hearing this story leaked by our government? Because ordinary people keep the pressure on. That's the only thing that changes anything in this country. It's never going to come from the leaders. It comes from ordinary people. And, and when I was very young at NYU, I had the great privilege of uh, being a marshal on the welcoming committee for Nelson Mandela when he was released from prison and came to the States. It was an amazing experience for me to work the Yankee Stadium rally. I was the youngest person there uh, at the marshal's meeting. And um, I just saw a sign in my dorm and said, yes, I want to be a part of this. And it, the greatest thing about it was... Um, the African National Congress, which had spent decades trying to defeat this disgusting system of apartheid. And they gave us all T-shirts to wear in the stadium that night. And the T-shirt had on what had become the mantra of the African National Congress, fighting apartheid, trying to get Nelson Mandela released, all the way up from inmate Mandela becoming President Mandela. And the T-shirt, and I was just clearing out some boxes downtown, and I found it yesterday morning. The T-shirt I still have, big block letters. Keep the pressure on. That's the only thing that works. We hear rumbles that Merrick Garland has actually opened up a criminal investigation into Donald Trump. You know why? It's because of you guys. It's because of Americans who are outraged and are demanding more from our leaders. Keep the pressure on. Look at the Republican Party. Look at how they are just terrified of their own base and will grovel before Donald Trump because their base is brainwashed and loves Donald Trump. Imagine if Democrats were that scared of their base. Well, they can be if we keep the pressure on. It's the only thing that works. And the fact that Brittany Griner is a household name, the fact that Merrick Garland knows he's got to do something about Donald Trump, and the fact that apparently Senator Manchin is reading your tweets as well. Now, when the show began today, I thought I was going to be talking about this amazing $280 billion package the Senate just approved that's going to spur U.S. chip manufacturing. It's pretty inspiring. We've been hearing rumblings about it for a while. $200 billion for scientific research, $52 billion in subsidies for domestic production of semiconductors. Um, I know I, it's, it's every bit as sexy as it sounds. I know. But this is big. And I'm someone who's been very hard on Chuck Schumer because I've just been saying more and more, if you're not going to fight, brother, we need you to step out of the way. I will always love Chuck Schumer because he knocked Al D'Amato out of Congress. What was that, 70, 80 years ago? But Chuck Schumer, my friends, has had a very good day. Here's how his day began before it got really good. Chuck Schumer had a secret no one knew except Joe Manchin. Even Mitch McConnell didn't know. So, so when you listen to Chuck Schumer thanking his fellow senators in this clip for the passage of a bill that's going to fund the growth of semiconductor manufacturing, keep this in mind as you listen to him for the next minute or so. Schumer knows that by the end of the day, he's going to reveal that he's tamed Joe Manchin. 
I want to thank the great bipartisan coalition that we have had. Uh, Maria and Roger worked so closely together. Um, uh, uh, Mark and John worked so closely together. And Todd and I got, to, got into this. I was passionate about investing in science over five years ago. And I talked to the heads of research institutions. I talked to companies. And they said, we are going to fall so far behind if we don't do this. And so I started thinking about it. And one day, I was talking in the gym as we were sweating away on the bikes with Todd Young. And I said, you know, this really bothers me. He said, it bothers me too. And he started saying things that, looked, that were the exact same things I was saying. So we became a team and put together the Endless Frontiers Act, no longer called that. Uh, I like that name. But um, the, uh, Maria named it aptly the Chips and Science Act. And that's what it is, and that's what it does. But we had a great bipartisan team, and that was incredible. There's that charisma that keeps the ladies coming back saying, show me, Schumer. So uh, he already knew when he gave that speech this morning that he had a much bigger announcement to make by the end of the day. And I got to admit, if you are one of these Democrats or liberals or progressives or moderates or anti-evil folk who's been depressed and despondent about this Congress's ability to get anything done, today was the day that Build Back Better may have limped back later because Schumer and Manchin just announced in the last couple of hours they've reached a deal on a spending bill, not called Build Back Better. It's a big day for renaming old products, but it's a bill that includes health care and climate, and they have a goal to pass it next week before the August recess. It's a total surprise. A deal on climate, health care, and tax packaging, on the, uh, a, t- a tax package that involves taxing the wealthy their fair share. Uh, we dedicate hundreds of billions to deficit reduction by adopting a tax policy that protects small businesses and working-class Americans while ensuring large uh, corporations and the ultra-wealthy pay their fair share. I know we've heard that before, but I really think people need to realize the impact that ordinary Americans had when they lost their mind on Joe Manchin. When Democrats finally lost their mind on Joe Manchin after killing every, almost every part of the Biden agenda. And finally, when the Democrats got so mad at President Manchin, they were going to strip him of his committee assignments. It feels like he reads the tweets too. Now, obviously, the goal is to see if the Democrats can pick up some Senate seats. And it looks really possible that it might not be a bloodbath. This coming November for the Democratic Party, it looks like most likely they'll win some seats in the House, but maybe keep the Senate and maybe gain seats in the Senate. And of course, if they can win some, let's say two, we can all tell Manchin the bugger off in perpetuity. But for now, the Inflation Reduction Act of 2022 has been announced. It lowers energy costs. It increases cleaner production. It reduces carbon emissions by about 40% over the next eight years. Uh, it lowers the Affordable Care Act health care premiums for millions of Americans. It's going to make it easier for struggling people to go see a doctor. And what we've been fighting for for two years hard, it's going to get this, get this, sell this, Democrats. The Inflation Reduction Act will finally allow Medicare to negotiate drug prices with the pharmaceutical companies, and it's going to cap out-of-pocket costs to $2,000, which is still outrageously too high. Yes, but it's going to cap them, and the government will be able to negotiate with these evil pharmaceutical companies. It's going to be the biggest climate action in human history. $370 billion for investments in clean energy, clean transportation, energy storage, farming, home electrification, and clean tech. And 
I don't know if you've noticed, it's the hottest summer we've ever had of all time since last summer, which was the hottest summer of all time. Joe Manchin said, this bill will cut the inflation taxes Americans are paying, lower the cost of health insurance and prescription drugs, and ensure our country invests in the energy security and climate change solutions we need. And it's not alliteration. So that's good. I think the Inflation Reduction Act is actually a smart name and smart branding. It's going to raise over $700 billion, $300 billion from 15% corporate minimum tax, $288 billion from prescription drug pricing reform. Uh, IRS tax enforcement, getting tax cheats to pay like you and I pay, $124 billion. The carried interest loophole, which is the tricky part. That's what Cinema had an issue with. That's going to raise $14 billion. And then it's going to spend $433 billion, okay? $369 billion on energy security and climate change, and $64 billion on Affordable Care Act extension. So out of $740 billion, it's going to spend about $430, which means $300 billion saved off the deficit. It's going to lower energy costs, increase cleaner production. It's going to reduce carbon emissions. It, it does so many things that we were hoping for and... And as promised by this president in 2020, there will be no new taxes on families making $400,000 or less and no new taxes on small businesses. Now, the majority of Democrats in the Senate were stunned by this. Are you? Are you shocked that maybe there's a deal? Because a part of me is like saying, okay, this sounds like business as usual. It's a great deal. And Joe Manchin's going to string it out over details for the next three months. And then sometime just before the midterms, he'll announce he can't support it because of gas prices and kill it. I mean, I'm just waiting for Manchin to play his favorite game, stall, flip and kill. A lot of reporters didn't even know about it until they heard about it from reporters. Like, Schumer and Manchin have kept this a secret for weeks. Senate Democrats actually had a virtual meeting with Schumer on Zoom to discuss the details. They are going to meet for a full caucus-wide meeting tomorrow. Um, Joe Biden put out a statement saying, I want to thank Senator Schumer and Senator Manchin for the extraordinary effort that it took to reach this result. This is the action the American people have been waiting for. And it's good. It's not everything we need. It's nowhere near good enough. But if the Democrats can get this legislation passed by next week, this will be a huge victory that they can campaign on all the way through November, which is just what they need. More victories after health care legislation, after gun legislation, the first in 30 years. It'll distract from the inflation, distract from the economy, but it also shows they're doing something. And you want the greatest proof? I think the greatest proof that we should be excited about this Mitch McConnell was enraged. He was so angry, he tore the tassels off his loafers. Uh, McConnell uh, uh, tweeted, and I don't know how to count the lies in this, Democrats have already crushed American families with historic inflation. Now, that's a lie. You guys know that there's inflation worldwide. Every country is struggling with it right now in the world. Democrats didn't create it around the world. It's the response to a plague, and it's the response to corporate greed. I blame corporate greed a lot more than I blame Vladimir Putin, because I'm not a Democrat. I'm not afraid to say it. Now, uh, McConnell goes on. Now they want to pile on giant tax hikes that will hammer workers and kill many thousands of American jobs. No, they won't. It'll make the super wealthy pay a little more taxes. McConnell says, first, they killed your family's budget. Now they want to kill your job, too. What do you think? 
if Mitch McConnell is that outraged, if corporate McBribe face is that enraged, the Inflation Reduction Act must be at least a little bit good for non-millionaires, right? I mean, he wouldn't be angry if it didn't help non-millionaires. Now, again, this comes just hours after they passed this $280 billion China Competition and Chips Manufacturing Bill. And it really shows how in one day, Schumer and Manchin did work together and totally turned the tables on McConnell. Because McConnell threatened to destroy Chips Plus if the Democrats went after a reconciliation deal with Manchin. The bill passed today with huge Republican support after most members thought a sweeping reconciliation bill was doomed. So, more or less, (laughs) Mitch McConnell got outplayed. Schumer and Manchin made McConnell think that every part of Build Back Better was dead. That Manchin had flipped completely. That Joe Biden's agenda was dead and gone. So a lot of Republicans came over and supported the Chips Plus bill. And as soon as the votes were done, Manchin and Schumer came out and announced it. Because most of the Republicans thought, reconciliation bill, it's doomed. Thanks, Manchin. It's almost like Manchin, I'm going to go out on a limb. At least he's pretending so far. But if this goes through, Manchin will have double-crossed a lot of his corporate owners. John Cornyn said, you think we got sucker-punched? I don't think it's a done deal yet. I think they might want to count their chickens before they start popping champagne corks. They're furious. So their reconciliation package has now gotten its new name, the Inflation Reduction Act of 2022. Manchin and Schumer did not include cinema in their talks. And they might not matter. I mean, no one knows if she's going to back spending $369 billion on climate and $64 billion on health care. But the fact is, this bill is going to net $200 billion that'll come off of our deficit. So if she wants to fight this, what's her argument going to be? Senator Sinema learned of the deal this afternoon and so far has had no immediate comment. She was on record last December supporting this tax hike, 15%. That's going to raise an estimated $313 billion to fund climate priorities. So, look, again, Manchin's colleagues were furious with him for killing everything, everything they've tried to pass a Democrats-only spending bill. And now they're so close. Elizabeth Warren said the good news here is that Senator Manchin, who is announcing a deal, not that they're close to a deal, not there are some parts of a deal. That makes me very hopeful. And the White House is thrilled. So congratulations, Chuck Schumer. I, I, I gotta say, I love to make fun of you. It's really fun to work on one's Chuck Schumer impression. But he made the naysayers look bad. Biden spoke to both of them. I mean, this guy has pulled up a major feat. A 64 to 33 vote in the Senate for a massive $280 billion investment in manufacturing and technology. And while pushing that, secretly negotiating this incredible bill with Joe Manchin that the Republicans didn't know about. Because if they had, they would have killed the technology bill. Not bad, Schumer. Let's see you guys bring it over the line, because I don't want to have to come and delete this episode of the podcast. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. 
That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. On a day when Brittany Griner and Congress are reminding us that, yes, you're supposed to still be mad about the drug war, I'd like to also remind you, you should also still be mad about the war on terror. In the last 20 years, since January of 2002, our government has imprisoned 780 Muslim men and boys at Guantanamo. The youngest was like 13 years old. Now, of the first 570-odd detainees they brought in, 86% of them were not actually captured by U.S. troops, but handed over to the coalition forces in Iraq or Afghanistan for bounties ratted out by their neighbors, many of them people that others had grievances against. Of the 780 total detainees that we took into Gitmo, more than 730 have been released, and the vast majority of them, as you probably know, were never even charged with any crime. Two decades later, 36 men are still in Guantanamo, 10 of whom are currently facing charges in a military commission system. But what does that mean? What does a military tribunal look like? Well, Mustafa Bayoumi can tell us. He is a professor at Brooklyn College, co-editor of the Edward Said Reader, and the author of How Does It Feel to Be a Problem, Being Young and Arab in America. He's been documenting the war on terror for the nation for nearly two decades, and his new piece, (laughs) it's so powerful, I cannot scream this from the rooftops enough, Journey to Guantanamo, A Week in America's notorious penal colony. It is a gripping second-person account. It's written in the second person of what our taxes are paying for towards a movement that existed to get politicians elected off of fear two decades ago and that men in cages are still paying for today. Professor Bayoumi, welcome. It's great to have you. Thank you, John. I really appreciate you having me on your show. Thank you. Before I even jump into it, let me ask, we're still in the pandemic. How are you? How's your family? How's your people? How are you getting through this time? Oh, well, thank you. Uh, Everything's fine here. I mean, I actually, I I had COVID in December. I got through it. Uh, It actually made it a little less fearful for me. Um, I feel like this is something that as a a nation, even as a a world, we're going to be able to manage and, and, and come through on the other side. I certainly hope so. I mean, obviously, uh, travel is always challenging during this time. When did you go to Guantanamo Bay? It was in the very end of March, the beginning of April for a week at that point. Yeah. Yeah, Before you even get to the piece itself, it's so grippingly written. But what are the machinations that one must go through to even be told you can have access to come there for a whole week? What's that process (laughs) like? That is such a good question. Um, it is multiple forms that you have to fill out. First, you have to be invited because you're a journalist. So you have to be able to prove your journalistic credentials. And they open up Guantanamo at certain moments for these military commission trials, which aren't yet trials because they're actually in pre-trial motion hearings. Um, this has been going on for years and years before they even get to the trial phase. But when that does happen, when these motion hearings are open, then they open it up for journalists to come down. 
And uh, it took at least three, I think there were three different um, stages of application that were involved. Um, they involved me um, talking about my citizenship status, what other, mm-hmm. you know, travel I've done. And um, at one point they assumed that I'm an American citizen, but they assumed that I was not an American citizen. I don't know why. And then they, they when I said that I was, and then they realized, okay, that's fine. Then you are. And it was just, it was a very, you know, touch and go situation for a little while, but uh, eventually the approval came. And then within a few days, I found myself down at Andrews Air Force Base um, and I was about to fly off to Guantanamo Bay. The piece is, uh, if I dare say, almost surreal. It's almost like if, if David Lynch was directing your trip to Guantanamo Bay. Um, and I think one of the most surreal bits happened in the first paragraph when you just mentioned how you'd expect the world's most notorious prison site to look more like a garrisoned penal colony than a sleepy suburb in Southern California. We've spent decades hearing about the atrocities that go on in this blighted shame on America's legacy. What does it look like? Is it just so mundane? Well, the thing that I think uh, your listeners and I think most of the American public don't maybe understand is that Guantanamo Bay, as we understand it, is a prison, is a penal colony. It's a prison. Uh, It is also in the place uh, where it is, is in a 45 square mile naval base. And that naval base has been there since 1903. It's actually the oldest continuous American naval base that we have on Earth, mm-hmm. uh, overseas. And so um, what that means is that there's this kind of normal functioning American naval base, as normal functioning as an overseas an American naval base can be. Um, and at the same time, tucked away in the corner is this notorious prison. So we don't actually have a lot of access especially since 2019, the, um, the, the uh, Southcom and the, and the Pentagon and the American government has decided that they don't want to give journalists the same kind of access that they had prior to 2019. So I was not even able to go visit the actual prison itself. I was able to go to what's called Camp Justice, which is where the military commissions were happening, but I was not able to go to actually where the prison itself was held, which in the earlier days, you know, they were taking a lot of journalists there on 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 tours. They were showing them mock-ups of what the what the prison facilities looked like and all that kind of stuff. Now, there's it seems like there's almost an attempt to, to try to keep it more uh, away from view of the American public itself. Are you referring to the original Camp X-Ray where the first 20 detainees were brought to, to Gitmo? Not only Camp X-Ray. I mean, Camp X-Ray is that very iconic image that we all have. You know, I'm sure we've all seen that image of where it's in the outdoors. It's it's horrifying. And you see the men there with their they're bound and gagged and they're in their orange jumpsuits and they they have goggles on. You know, everybody, I think, knows that image. And Camp X-Ray existed for several months. But very quickly, actually, the 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 uh, the Pentagon constructed what was called Camp Delta shortly thereafter. And Camp Delta was a more long-term facility. And it, the, the grounds where Camp Delta is, is actually where the, uh, the, the larger grounds, is exactly where the, the pe- people who are still at Guantanamo Bay are held. That's where they're held today. So uh, I'm, I'm not referring only to Camp Extra, but in fact, I'm also referring to Camp Delta. And it used to be that you could go see Camp Delta. Camp Delta has the big sign that says, Honor Bound to Defend Freedom. That was an... an an often photographed sign also that illustrated what Guantanamo Bay 
meant for the Pentagon. Well, we can't even take pictures of that sign anymore as journalists. That, that's now off limits. Amazing. I mean, what, what is it like for you as you first arrive as a journalist? You, you talk in the piece about how right away you've got to display your credentials everywhere you go. And you can always spot the journalists because they're the only people who are wearing stuff around their necks everywhere they go on the island. Yeah, it was and it was an odd fact. I mean, you know, there are very few places, for example, even to eat on the naval base. And so especially if you're the, if you haven't eaten past, say, 830 or 9 p.m., then you're kind of out of luck. And so, you know, there, me and, I, and the few other journalists who were there one night, we were out late or late ish and we were trying to find a place to eat. There's a bowling alley and the bowling alley. We were told that at the bowling alley, we would find maybe a, maybe some nachos or something. And we went to the bowling alley and. Nobody was there. We got there quite a little bit late, and uh, um, uh, but somebody came right up to me who looked very military and said, "Does it bother you that nobody wants to talk to you because you have these press credentials around your around your neck?" Wow. To which I responded, "Are you instructed not to talk to people from the press?" And to which he then said, "I'm not saying, but I'm saying," and that just seemed to me to be kind of indicative of the whole week. It was a very Everybody, I, I should tell you, John, it was, everybody was very sweet. They were very nice. They were very cordial. They were very polite. But at the same time, there was a sense that the media was being very well managed the whole time. Well, of course. Of course, as, as they would be, because this is the one military installation on the world that has received the most scrutiny and the most criticism, and justifiably so. So I have no doubt military relations are going to, you know, do a very good job of uh, smiling as they show you a small portion of what ex- actually exists. I mean, you note in your piece that of the 38 detainees still there, it's now 36, 19 of them are there, even though they've been cleared for release by the government. I believe some of them cleared by Bush when he was president, who are still there. And an additional five men are being kept in indefinite detention because our government says they're still too dangerous to ever be released. And yet we won't charge them with any crime. This lack of due process is continuing and we're all paying for it, which makes me have to ask, based on all the great stuff of yours I've read over the years, you must have brought a lot of really sharp biases with you into this facility. You must have brought a lot of very well-deserved preconceived notions. I'm curious what surprised you about Guantanamo Bay and, and what enraged you? Well, I think that what surprised me was the dedication that I saw, particularly from the various defense councils that I met while I was down there. You know, one of the defense attorneys who was a military uh, JAG officer, you know, he was he's he, he's assigned uh, um, to an, a very important case, not the case that I was there to observe, but to a different case. But he was down there at the same time that I was there. And he told me, he said he said to me explicitly, he said, I, when, when I when I took my oath to the military, I took my oath to the Constitution and not to the government. And so he felt that his obligation was that uh, everybody who's on trial at Guantanamo deserves a fair trial and does not deserve to be tortured. And that and any evidence that came out of torture should not be used in a trial because that that evidence is coerced. It's not it's tainted. Who knows if it's true or not? Right. And the, the kind of dedication that I saw from many of the members of the defense councils that I was down there when I was down there, that did impress me. What was really disturbing, I think, was the ways in which our our and I say our because I'm talking about us as the media, the way in which uh, our um, opportunities to just view uh, the the proceedings and understand really what's going on 
Um, and even just, you know, just to be able to, to see the conditions in which these, these men have been living for so long. That is so circumscribed, and we're not able to actually see any of that. Yeah. So that, that's very much a, a, an effect of governmental power. I mean, if they wanted to show it to us, they would show it to us. They absolutely do not want to show it to us. And I think that should be of concern to the, to the broader American public. Exactly. If you care about justice, if you care about the kind of morality we claim to represent, the kind of freedom we claim to represent, uh, these men, some of them have been there for literally decades without ever being charged for a crime. And it's a pretty safe bet they're not allowed to go to the bowling alley like you were. Um, yes. yes, that's now, right. Now, you, you point out that the military tribunals have been used during the Revolutionary War and World War One and Two. Um, but but what are military tribunals? You, you talk about how you you read on the office of uh, the website of the Office of Military Commissions what they are. And it's a phrase that gets kind of tossed around in the media and the news a lot. But in reading your piece, I kind of realized, wow, I've, I don't really know what a military tribunal is beyond watching maybe an episode of M.A.S.H., <laughs> yes, exactly. I mean, essentially, you know, under the laws of war over the over the not only decades, but centuries of warfare, unfortunately, you know, millennia of warfare that human beings have been involved in. But at least, you know, in the decades of warfare that we've had since the Geneva Conventions, there is supposed to be a system by which we can adjudicate whether people are actually belligerents in war, whether they can be judged for the for any crime that they might be charged with under the rules of war. So that would be, you know, what a, a, a typical military tribunal would be set up for. And it might have different rules of evidence. It might have different rules of procedure than a civilian trial. So uh, this happens in different parts of the world. It's happened in different moments in American history. The, the point with these these trials is that, you know, I think from the very beginning of the establishment of Guantanamo Bay, if anybody's followed this history, anybody would know that the U.S. government in the, from the very beginning was trying to say that, well, because, you know, this is a new kind of warfare in their in their logic. It didn't it didn't actually even have to measure up to Geneva Convention standards. Well, I mean, but if I may, Professor, that's the whole reason yeah. why we haven't legally declared war since 1941. That's the reason we use language like enemy combatants. So we don't have to follow standards for prisoners of war. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And that is essentially that's you're getting at the very heart of the problem. John. And then the, the point is, is that we need to have standards that we will follow throughout our conduct and we measure the same our conduct uh, the same as we would measure the conduct of others otherwise what kind of standards what kind of what kind of um, um, example do we show to anybody else around Exactly right. My guest, if you're just joining us, is, uh, is, is Professor Mustafa Bayoumi. His new cover story for The Nation is called Journey to Guantanamo, A Week in America's Notorious Penal Colony. And again, if you're looking for gripping summer reading, uh, this is the sort of thing I like to read at the beach. Um, Professor, one thing made me incredibly angry consistently in your excellent reportage, which was how it seems that just as they hide you, uh, hide much of the, the you know, the camp from you, much of the prison from your eyes, systemically, it seems that keeping clients inaccessible to their lawyers is a part of the entire racket and a part of the shame that it's just kicking the can down the road, not addressing these problems. And I guess waiting for a future president someday to let them go when they're old men. But it seems like it's deliberate that they keep creating as so many hurdles to these men even being able to mount a defense. 
I think you're absolutely right, John. And the key to understanding the logic behind um, the actions of the government here is the fact that they're essentially, I hate to say, but essentially they're afraid of exposing themselves to liability for the kinds of conduct that the American government was responsible for in the past. And we're talking about the kinds of explicit torture, the kinds of um, um, degradations on human dignity, the, the kinds of things that uh, the, the U.S. government has itself laws uh, against and, and has signed international conventions against as well. So they, they themselves are liable for these kinds of conducts. So unlike in other kinds of military commissions where we're maybe looking at the conduct of combatants, this is a kind of military commission where we're, A, looking at the conduct of certain people who are alleged to be combatants, at the same time trying to hide our own conduct in the war exactly. on terror. Exactly. And so those two things are contradictions to each other, and they create this friction. That is the reason why we're still eight years into the system. We have not even moved towards having trials yet. We are still in pretrial motion hearings because the, the U.S. government is desperately trying to hide the fact that they have been involved in conduct that is illegal, torture that is opposed to every kind of international convention. They do not want that, that, that those facts to come on the record, and that's what that's they're right. trying to And this at a time when most of the world has finally come to completely refute the Iraq war, including the Republican Party has cut it loose. And yet these men are forgotten to much of our culture. I want to ask you about the gentleman whose hearings you came to witness. You do go through how he has a lot of different names. He he calls himself Nashwan Altamir. Uh, Mm -hmm. But the U.S. government has one name for him. The CIA report has one name for him. And his jailers call him 026. Um, What was he accused of doing and how long had he been in Guantanamo? So he was initially captured by the CIA at the border of Turkey and Iraq in 2006 and then taken to a black site for several months and then and then transferred to Guantanamo Bay in 2007. So he was not put up to charge for several years after that, but he's been in Guantanamo Bay since 2007, and now we're in 2022. That would make it some, somewhere like 14 to 15. Uh, how was my math? Uh, somewhere along those lines, right? Uh, in, in other words, a very, very long time. Uh, with, uh, and still, you know, barely in himself being um, um, accused, let alone tried, for any of the uh, accusations against him. Yes. The, the accusations are that he was a he's he's a man of Iraqi descent. He comes from Iraq. Uh, he was known to have been in Afghanistan. He may or may not have been a liaison between the Taliban and Al Qaeda. Um, the allegations against him that the U.S. government raised were never capital offenses. They were never death penalty offenses. They were they were what what are called battlefield offenses. Yes. So he he's of a different kind of category of a prisoner than some of the other people who are uh, facing these these uh, these uh, trials at Guantanamo. And actually, after I left, within uh, you know several weeks after I left, there is a lot of talk these days about whether the U.S. government is trying to move towards having plea negotiations with uh, the men who are still down there in Guantanamo. And he actually, he and his attorneys reached a preliminary plea agreement, uh, which... Uh, meant that he uh, pled guilty to some of the offenses, 
barely any of the most outrageous offenses that were charged against him. Um, some of the more battlefield offenses that I think a lot of people might consider just normal conduct or, you know, maybe ex- somewhat extra normal conduct during war, but not not nothing that's terrorism oriented per se. Right. Uh, and and his uh, and and uh, uh, the agreement that he's reached means that he will be within two years, then they will now start searching for um, another country to keep him under um, um, confinement. It's a it's a very confusing system. Uh, I, I imagine that what's going to happen is under these two years, they're going to look for a place that will actually also give him proper health care, because all, over all of these years, as he's aged, his health has also declined. And that is also the case for all of uh, many of the other members in Guantanamo Bay. That's something that struck me about Mr. Altamir. He has been in custody since the year 2006, 16 years since he was nabbed in, in Turkey. And his health has degenerated so much that our tax dollars had to fly him to mainland America for spinal surgery so we could fly him back, put him back in his cage and still not charge him. Yeah, although it's a little bit different than what you just said, because, in fact, Please. what happened was the crew flew from the mainland to Guantanamo to perform the surgery. Sorry, we paid for Congress, them to fly here. Yeah, because Congress has passed a law that says that people from Guantanamo cannot go to the mainland U.S. That's right. That's right. That's so right. that's why they flew the most junior surgeon in their outfit down to Guantanamo to perform the surgery on him. And he still requires multiple surgeries thereafter. He's a man who his his uh, lead defense counsel told me lives and I quote in incredible pain every day. You know, I, I will say one of the more surreal elements of your narrative, one of the more David Lynchian elements, is you watching through three layers of glass these hearings. Because my understanding is that because they they for some kind of reason they want to censor potential secrets that the audio you hear. You're not watching a screen. You're watching the real people, but you're hearing the audio through a speaker and the audio is 40 seconds behind what your eyes are seeing. How does that work for you? Yeah, I think I think your David Lynch analogy is perfect, actually. What what is that? What is it like to sit in the room and try to follow all this? It's so strange. And in fact, they also have a a video monitor above your head that portrays it uh, in sync. So the video is 40 seconds off also. So I was trying to watch it in real time because that's the reason why I had gone down to Guantanamo. I'm there to witness what's happening in front of me, and yet somehow I'm still watching it on, on the video screen instead because naturally you just want to watch it in sync where the video and the audio are synced up. Yeah. So there's this way in which uh, almost metaphorically, that's a, that's a way of saying that we want to move away from reality into some kind of managed reality, some kind of like you know performed reality instead. And that that was really one of the things that troubled me a lot during during my time. Yeah, you talk about how you'll your eyes will see the judge come into the room and it's everyone stands, then everyone sits, they begin talking, and then forty seconds later you hear the judge say, You may sit after you've already seen it. And it yeah. seems like it's even further designed to disorient the journalists who are there. It is uh, it is a very, very uh, odd phenomenon. And the the other odd phenomenon to me was the fact that in fact you know, the, the viewing gallery is set up so that family members and, and uh, also people from different vari- from various um, non-governmental organizations can view the proceedings as well, um, uh, as well as the journalists. But in fact, there was almost nobody there when I was there, because who's heard of Nashwain al I mean, almost, I don't know of anybody who has. 
I hadn't heard about, about him before I had gone down there. And yet the U.S. government has paid so much emphasis because he's a, a prize of the war on terror. And yet nobody knows anything about him at the same time, which indicates to me something about the, the way in which the war on terror is an act. This is, this is perhaps, uh, uh, it's a kind of advertising campaign uh, as yes. opposed to a reality uh, campaign. And so you see that in the, in the fact that we don't even know the men who are, many of the men who are them, themselves on trial down. I mean, one of the names we do know, of course, was the CIA's first guy they got after 9-11, Abu Zabdiah, uh, who was tortured almost to death in CIA black sites. I was kind of wondering if you would have been able to see him at all. I know you didn't, but um, I, I didn't even realize that Abu uh, Zubayda, I'm sorry, Zubayda, I can never say his name right, forgive me. He's now <laughs> yeah. spent, he's 50, and of those 50 years, he has spent 20 of those years in a cage in Cuba. You did speak to his lawyer, right? I did. I spoke to. He has several lawyers, and I spoke to. I spoke to a number of them while I was down there. And I have to say, I think it's. I think it's unconscionable what's happened to someone like Abu Zubaydah. I mean, uh, and the reason why I can say that without uh, you know any any pause is because we have more information about Abu Zubaydah than we do about many of the other people who are down there. It's That's probably right. equally unconscionable for many of the people who are down there, as well as many of the people who, who have since been uh, released from there. But with Abu Zubaydah, he was, in fact, uh, one of the first people who was in the CIA's uh, 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 rendition, detention and interrogation program. He was brutally tortured almost to death to the point where people who were, in fact, involved in that campaign um, uh, messaged the CIA authorities back in in uh, the stateside, and and uh, the CIA authorities stateside, according to this is a, according to uh, official documents, uh, they told them that well they met the sorry the people who are who are torturing Abu Zubaydah said we should make sure that he never sees the light of day again. Oh my God! Because of the kind of torture that he had undergone, even though. The Senate subcommittee on intelligence several years ago issued this long form report that we never got to see, but we did get to see the executive summary of, which is a 500 page executive summary. Even within that executive summary, if you look carefully, if you read that executive summary carefully, you will find out that on page, I believe it's 410 of that executive summary, it will tell you that from the very beginning, very quickly after when the CIA had Abu Zubaydah was already involved in torturing him, right. they realized very soon that he was never a member of Al-Qaeda. So they knew from the beginning that he was not the kind of terrorist as they thought that he was, and yet they still kept him, and they still have him to this very day, still, without charge, after more than 20 years in Guantanamo Bay. And just so I understand, they don't want him to ever see the light of day again, not because of the crimes they believe he committed, but because of the crimes committed against him that he could talk about if he were ever set free. You know, I wish I didn't have to say this, John, but that's exactly right. Um, what are special category residents? That's a term I had never heard of. And of course, our military specializes in very bland long terms to cover up very unpleasant things. Yeah, this is actually a very interesting story. You know, the U.S. has had a presence in Cuba 
for a long time. The U.S. has had Guantanamo Bay under its own jurisdiction, the naval base there, since 1903. But of course, there was a revolution in Cuba. And before the revolution, there were a lot of Cubans who worked on the naval base, part of which later on became this prison that we are now talking about. So many of those Cuban residents who were working on the naval base, they felt that after the revolution, they felt that working too closely with the Americans was putting themselves and their own families at risk. So there came a time immediately post-revolution that some of them thought, okay, you know what? It's going to be safer for me to actually just stay on this base than it is mm-hmm. for me to go home. So they stayed on the base rather than leaving the base as they usually would uh, day by day. And so they became known as an official designation called Special Category Residents, SCRs. And ever since then, they've lived on that base. And so there's now, you know, a handful of them left. There's, they're mostly in their 70s and 80s. Uh, they, they, many of them have uh, garnered American citizenship since then, but many of them prefer to stay still on the base uh, itself. And a bunch of them who have, who have not um, um, survived ov- over all of these years, because we're talking from the early 60s until today, they also are actually buried uh, on a, on, in a cemetery that's part of the same naval base. And, and you can find their graves on that, in that cemetery itself. I, I want to close by quoting you sir from this excellent piece in the nation again uh you've got to read it guys it's called journey to guantanamo a week in america's notorious penal colony you write and one of the great pleasures if i can call it that of this piece is your gift of prose because it's a deeply unsettling article but you say as you watch the military commissions in action you realize that trials are never solely about the guilt or innocence of the accused every trial everywhere regardless of the kind of tribunal is first and foremost a trial of the very system being used to adjudicate guilt or innocence. An accused person may be found guilty or not guilty, but if the system fails its own test of justice, then it's really all of us who are condemned. Professor, that's powerful uh, and eloquent and infuriating. What do Americans need to know about what our taxes are paying for in this particular system of justice in Guantanamo? Well, they're paying for a lot and they continue to pay for a lot. I mean, even as we speak, you know, there are new barracks being built. I don't know. I don't think people realize this. As I was down there, I was watching the construction happening. There are new barracks being built for guards down at Guantanamo. $124 million allocated from 850 guards. Uh, that's about half of the guard corps that's down there. there there's, a, there's a second courtroom being built, $4 million for a new courtroom so that they can have at least two trials happening at the same time. There, 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 there is a kind of there is a, a way in which the infrastructure is enabling a kind of longevity to the shame that is Guantanamo Bay. That the whole, that the, not only the country, but in fact, I think the whole world now associates with yeah. the term Guantanamo Bay. And I think that's something that we should not allow. That's something that we should move to. Uh, uh, to offset that's something we should we should stop. I mean, I think that the the real challenge is finding a way not just to end, you know, the um, the, the incarceration of these men at Guantanamo Bay, but to really think about why the United States, in fact, has so many naval bases, so many prisons around the world itself. Mm-hmm. 
That's the question that I think we really ought to be asking. Yep. As someone who has done stand-up uh, for the troops in Central America with a lot of uh, military bases built just for the drug war, I wonder that myself many times. Uh, Professor Mustafa Bayoumi, what a pleasure. Again, the Peace in the Nation. It's the cover story, Journey to Guantanamo, a week in America's notorious penal colony. Thank you for writing it. Thank you for joining us. Please come back and join us again on SiriusXM. Thank you, John. It was a great, it was a great pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. We will be right back with your calls and open phones for the rest of the evening till midnight on the East Coast, 9 p.m. on the Pacific. This is SiriusXM. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Sirius XM 127. I'm John saying Thank you guys for your patience. Let's get to the phones really quick before the break. Lori in Wyoming, thank you for waiting. Hey, John. Um, hey. I, God, that convo with Bob made me real happy because it gives me a little hope. Right um, so anyway, we you know, we have uh, our election coming up. And, you know, I'm an independent, but I, I did put a list Cheney sign out. I mean, there, <laughs> there is no Democrats. There is no Democrat. I know. Out here. Like when, I, when know. I go go on and go to vote on the ballot, there are none. It's nothing but Republicans yeah. on the ballot thing. Oh, thoughts so of anyway, So anyway, I, I was kidding. You know, I put it out, and one of my neighbors came over, and I said, how do you like my sign? And they all know I'm, I'm not a Republican in any way, right. shape, or form. And uh, she was pissed, and so she went home. She texted me this. Democrat, Democrat policy, I wrote it down. And... Uh, Politicians are so unpopular and detrimental to our success, to making our society successful. <laughs> Too bad they are manipulating the system in order to get votes. So what I was like manipulating the system? How? Well, so I that was how I felt. I was like, well, what, what the heck are you talking about? Because by, I make, by I making it easier to vote, yeah, by making it easier to vote, they're manipulating the vote. No, so anyway, this is what she meant. Well, really quick, we're hitting a break. Go ahead. All right, January sixth thing is a joke, and that, that's how they're manipulating the vote of people. So oh, anyway. I see. Yeah. So in other words, she's ignorant and happy, and you're going to still be nice to her anyway because that's the kind of person you are. <laughs> Trying. Thank, thank you anyway, so much, uh, Lori. You inspire yeah. me. We got to hit a break. We'll be right back with your calls on Sirius XM. Okay. Picture this: it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. 
conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I'm John Fugelsang. This is SiriusXM Progress. We're at 866-997-GRIT. Really quick, 43% of Americans now say they have hardly any confidence in the Supreme Court. 43%. Earlier this year, it was 27% of Americans said they had hardly any confidence in the Supreme Court. Now it's gone up 16 points. This is the new AP poll and the Center for Public Affairs Research Survey. Roughly two-thirds of the country support the idea of setting term limits for justices and instituting a retirement age threshold. FDR tried something like that. What FDR tried to do was he didn't want to throw anybody off the court. He wanted to pack it with more justices. And because they were voting to undo his New Deal policies, FDR's proposal was that every justice over the age of 70 would be grouped together and have one collective vote. In other words, if there's four justices over the age of 70, well, you guys vote amongst yourselves as to what your one vote will be. FDR tried to scare him and it worked. They backed down. He never tried to pack the court. But negative views of the court now, it's all about overturning Roe v. Wade. And get rid of, getting rid of the separation of church and state and getting rid of Miranda rights. 67% of Americans favor term limits for Supreme Court justices. 82% of Democrats and 57% of Republicans. Pretty shocking. And by the way, this week wasn't mentioned too much, but this week was a special anniversary. The 13-year anniversary of the last raise for the federal minimum wage. Set at $7.25 per hour since 2009. I mean, it's incredible. The longer it stays that low, the less relevance it has, the less it even means. Like if you measure it in 2009 dollars, the minimum wage has fallen over the past 13 years to now essentially just $5.27 per hour. Most states have a higher minimum wage. D.C.'s minimum wage is now $16.10 as of this month. That's more than double. D.C. has more than double the, 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 the minimum wage. And they can't even be a state. Right now, here's how lower minimum wage is. Only 20 states is it legal to pay an employee $7.25. That's right. The minimum wage is illegal to pay people in 30 out of 50 states. Minimum wage is so low that very few employers can find anybody willing to even work for that figure. Because minimum wage when we were kids was seen as a kind of job that high school kids took. Now it's the kind of job that parents have to take. Please, Democrats, I know you're having good news. I'd like to get more. Turn something up on this, can you please? A higher minimum wage puts more people to work. It has more people paying more taxes, more sales taxes, paying more into Social Security. It helps the entire economy. But Chucks, you guys know that. You're already listening to SiriusXM Progress. Beachside Bill, 
in Florida. Hello, sir. Hey, John. It's good to talk to you again. Good to talk to you. I, and I agree with what you, I just I agree with what you just said. First thing, I'm sad tonight because Beaver's the only one left. Wally died today. You saw that, right? Well, did, did he officially pass? Because we we had last night. We learned that Tony Dow, who played Wally on Leave It to Beaver, yeah. 77. First, they said he had died, and then they came back and said uh, that he hadn't died. And as of today, we still don't know. Has he officially he, passed? He has, he has. He has. God bless Tony Dow. He was in hospice, uh, and he. Oh, yeah. very very sad I, yeah. it's it's always I strange thought, when someone's reported as, as having passed before they do but go ahead yeah it's sad because it reminds me like you know ginger's the last one left out of uh uh gilligan's island I right know. i know lebeau Le- Le- is the last one left out of uh hogan's heroes oh i didn't uh, know that Mary Stewart's just, yeah Larry Stewart's just the died. last one left out of hogan's hero larry stewart's just died he was the last one left out of F Troop. Remember that? I knew that. Yes. Yeah. I wrote a whole. I wrote a whole script about his. Yeah. Uh, for, I wrote a whole script years ago about uh, him as a, a First Amendment hero called "The People versus Larry Storch," but I, I couldn't. Uh, I couldn't get anyone to take a meeting on it. I remember that. I hope to look that up. Mm-hmm. And um, and uh, it reminded me too that like Mickey Dolenz is the last one of the uh, the the. the the, the monkey, yes, he is. you know, things like that. I, I'm fascinated with shit like that. I, I could Me go too. on and on with TV history. I'm fascinated, like with Mash and all that. But oh, my, like who's still point, like who's like, still alive? Well, there, there's a lot of Mash folks still alive. I mean, we lost Warren Christopher, but Loretta Swit is still with us. Alan Alda's yeah. done our show many times. Mike Farrell has done our show many times, and um, uh, Jamie Farr is still with us. Radar, as well. and, Radar, and Gary Radar and Klinger are still with us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I could go on and on. Uh, <laughs> a great show tonight, but the, the Senate, remember I told you, I called you a couple of weeks ago. Let me get on the Senate here for a second, then I'll get to my point. The Senate, remember I told you that they, they were going to they, they pull an LBJ on uh, Mansion and Cinema about, you know, scrubbing the toilets and, and, and mm-hmm. sending them down the fucking dungeon. Remember I told you they pulled an LBJ on them. Well, we'll see. You're right. We'll still, we'll still, we'll still see on that, right? I mean, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Again, I'm incredibly optimistic. It's incredibly positive. It feels so nice in my heart to say nice things about Chuck Schumer and uh, Joe Manchin, because I don't like resenting these people. I don't like despising Joe. I don't like being angry at Joe Manchin all the time. So if this is possible, it's really, really good. But again, it ain't a thing until it's been voted on and passed. And Joe Manchin, if we know one thing about him, he likes to string people along. And then change his mind. That's why I call him my prom date because that's that's exactly. Come here, go. I like this. No, go away, go away. That's. I, I'm I'm I, not going to unclench I, on this until we've seen a vote. I agree. And one one quick point: in 48 hours, we're going to have a, a lottery drawing for a billion dollars, right? That's right. You know the mega mega million mega drawing. millions. 48 yes. hours, we're going to know. And, you know, any 18-year-old woman now in, in the states that don't have that lottery can go buy a lottery ticket, can go, like I saw them go from Alabama to Florida here, I think in Alabama, whatever. But my point is, yet tomorrow an 18-year-old woman cannot go get an abortion out of, well, Alabama or wherever, the, you know, the fuck, can you, you know, some of these states. Yeah. My point is, what's worth, what's worth more? Is, is a billion dollars, a $2 fucking lottery ticket worth a woman's life? You know, Uh, it's sad. I I hate to bring that, but it's a sad scenario. But that's where the fuck we're at with with this. You know, what what do you think? (sighs) I mean, I'm still just I think we're only beginning 
to see conservative people understand yeah. how stupid this pipe dream of theirs will prove to be. The amount of suffering that'll be inflicted. Again, you'll never end abortion, no matter what. You yeah. can only end the safe, legal kinds of abortions. And they have been drunk on their own virtue and their own hype for 40 years that, oh, it doesn't matter how ungodly, it doesn't matter how much corruption we turn a blind eye to, it doesn't matter how anti the teachings of Jesus the entire Republican Party agenda is, because they don't know what Jesus taught anymore. These Christians believe that Jesus following Christianity means you want to put fucking women in jail, and the Bible's not against abortion judaism which i believe let me check yes that's the religion in the bible jesus hardcore reformed jew judaism not against abortion god makes it clear in exodus again i'm speaking to the people who claim to follow this and believe it god says in exodus that a fetus is property so so again these people have been so drunk on their own piety that they've had this mythical quest of ending this right for 40 years And now they've done it in a number of states. And now these godless, women-hating, revoltingly fake Christians, anti-freedom, who don't even give a shit about children. My God, the second you're out of the womb, you can go to hell with these people. They finally got everything they wanted. And the suffering is going to come in. And all of them have to be reminded every time we see another story of a woman who has been mutilated because she had to go to a back alley butcher clinic or because she had an ectopic pregnancy and no one would take care of her or because she's 10 and was raped and her state wouldn't let her terminate the pregnancy. All these Republicans own it. Everyone, everyone in the Senate, everyone in the House and every Republican you and I know who voted for these godless, fake Christian, unholy motherfuckers for 40 years. They are not Christian. Christ was against the death penalty. They haven't read the Bible. Jesus is a fucking prop. They wave around. We have to call them out for their amorality because repealing Roe v. Wade was a victory for rapists who want to pick the mothers of their own children and Christians who've never read the Christ parts. And that's it. The suffering has only begun. I hear you, John. I hear you. And the other thing is, what are they going to do when women go in in an airport? Are they going to have pregnancy tests right there to check these women to make sure that they're not pregnant or if they're pregnant and you're going to go get an abortion? Are they going to have them stopping at roads? I mean, yeah. where is it going to end? They're going to how many, how many, how many, how many times are they going to go through people's mail? To see if yeah. they're getting abortion yeah. pills in certain states where those pills are illegal. You don't want the surgery, but you don't even want people to have the pill you can take in a first trimester. Are they going to have to get warrants to go through mail or will they just do it? And how will they enforce it? How will they violate the privacy of Americans to take cell away women's down. rights? Look at, yeah. Look at God damn it. Down. Women yeah. stop fucking Republicans. Women do not have sex with Republican men. Don't do it. Sorry, I had to get that out there. I, wasn't I wasn't I talking to you, Bill. You can have all the sex Republican men you want. I'm talking about women. Don't have sex with Republican men. <laughs> I hear you, John. I hear you. Believe me. I would never clip your wings, Bill. You do what side. you need to do. Okay. Thank you very much. Have a great one, man. Thanks. Thank Talk you. you. Uh, sorry, I get worked up about the fake Christians. I really do. I just... I've said it before, the gruesome, preventable mass shooting stories are now going to be packaged with the gruesome, preventable abortion horror stories. 